Welcome to the What's What Weekly Wrap-Up. Today's show focuses exclusively on this week's features from the WFUV Newsroom. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Christina Lulich. And here are this week's feature stories. This month, the WFUV Newsroom is highlighting stories of individual banned books and exploring how and why these bans arise in the first place. George M. Johnson is an author, journalist, and activist. They're widely known for their memoir manifesto, All Boys Aren't Blue. It's a series of essays about Johnson's journey growing up black and queer, and has been the subject of many book bans and challenges across the country. I spoke with Johnson to discuss the book and the reasons why critics believe it should be kept off school's shelves. We're sitting down today to talk about All Boys Aren't Blue. So talk to me about what made you decide to write this book. It was about November of 2017. And by that time, I knew I wanted to write a book. I just wasn't sure what direction I wanted to go or what I wanted the book to fully be about. Around that same time, two of my friends, Michael Arsenault and Darna Moore, were in the process of writing or finishing uh, their memoirs to be released. It just was a really, really exciting time as a, as a queer writer to want to put my story out there. Uh, November of 2017, there was a young man by the name of Giovanni Melton who was killed by his father. And within the police report, it stated that his father said that he would rather have a dead son than a gay son. That story really triggered me, and I wrote multiple articles about it. But after writing article after article after article, uh, it just wasn't enough. And that's when I knew that it was time for me to put my story out there about how I also grew up being effeminate and being queer, uh, but I was blessed enough to grow up in a family that affirmed it. And so I just wanted to put a narrative out there, almost a counter narrative to uh, a lot of what has always been said about Black community and around homophobia and just kind of giving everybody a possibility model that they could follow to see what happens when you just love a queer child unconditionally. And that's really what birthed All Boys Aren't Blue. The book consists of a series of essays that are about your experience growing up Black and queer. So talk to me about some of the topics that you've touched on in your writing. So I wrote about race, gender, culture, sexuality, um, HIV, just a myriad of different subjects, but I was always writing about them from the angle that I always thought was missing. And so when it came time to write All Boys Aren't Blue, I wanted to make sure that I touched on what the totality of a person was. It was like, my life wasn't all bad. My life wasn't all good. My life was a mix of both. And some of those things happened apart and some of those things were happening simultaneously. And so I do talk about joy. I talk about black joy. I talk about black boy joy. I talk about family. Family is pretty much the main through line uh, of my book. I talk about religion a little bit because I did grow up in a church. I also touch on sexual assault, rape culture. My book also likes to give that historical lens. So I do talk about, you know, the history of this country and slavery and the forefathers and Black History Month. You know, it was like telling my story, but also um, relating it to very real world topics. I'm a queer character that doesn't die at the end. And with a lot of books, a lot of fiction books, a lot of times the queer character doesn't make it to the end. And this was one of those stories where you got to the end and I'm still here. Despite your book's critical acclaim and awards, it's been frequently censored due to LGBTQIA plus content and said profanity. How do you respond mm-hmm. to this? Yes, the book is a, is a book about an LGBTQ person. And yes, the book has profanity in it because guess what? Teenagers cursed. You know, we live in a world where you have a certain group of people who 
like to live under this ideology of as what I like to call like the the white purity complex of children. And they believe that their kids have no idea what's going on in the world. Oh my God, my kid knows nothing about queer people and nothing about sex and nothing about these things. And your book is what's introducing my child to these things. And in reality, that's just not the case. What our books do is they give teenagers, because my book is for teenagers, it gives them context around the heavy subjects they're already living through. Why should people read All Boys Aren't Blue? People should read All Boys Aren't Blue. There are two reasons that I think, maybe three reasons that I think people should read All Boys Aren't Blue. One, the demographic that the book is written for, they should read it because I want them to know that people in the world exist that are just like them. That there are people who have already been here, who have been through many of their struggles, many of their battles already for them. And that as a person who woke up every day not seeing myself reflected in the world in many ways, I want them to wake up every day and know that they are reflected in this world. Two, I think people should read All Boys Aren't Blue because books are three things. They build empathy, they are windows and they are mirrors. And so reason number one was talking about the mirror. Reason number two is talking about the window. This allows people to look into the world of somebody that is not like them. Oftentimes uh, we separate ourselves by our differences. Books allow people to understand what people's differences are, but to have empathy for those differences and then to be able to use whatever power or access or things that they have to make someone else's life a little bit easier along the way. And so that's the, the second reason. The third reason that people should read All Boys Aren't Blue is because the book is a universal book, has universal themes of love and of family. It just gives you insight into a different world from a different view. What would you say to someone who believes your book should be banned or kept off the school's shelves? The first question is, have you read the book? have you read the book? Because most times they'll lie and say they read the book. And so I'll always say, well, what did you think about my grandmother? Like, because she's all throughout the book. They can, they can never answer it. I'm like, right, you didn't read the book. The second thing is though, what gives you the right to dictate a parent whose child needs this book? Because that's the real issue. Because this book has saved lives. What do you hope readers, whether they be queer, not queer, people from all backgrounds, what do you hope they can take away from your book? It costs us nothing to just love on each other through our differences. And so I think the book, by the time you get to the end of it, it makes you question yourself. It makes you have to sit and think, wow, I've never woken up. I've never you know, gotten up in the morning and had to question my identity. I wonder what that is like. That was my co-host, Christina Lulich, speaking to George M. Johnson about their book, All Boys Aren't Blue. The French Institute Alliance Francais provides opportunities to celebrate the creativity and diversity of Francophone cultures around the world. And the organization's annual Crossing the Line Festival brings together French-speaking artists and creators from across the globe, all right here in New York City. WFUV's Rosie Lenz talks to the co-curators who put this event together. The French Institute Alliance Francaise is hosting a month-long festival with performances and exhibits all from French artists. So whether they're based in New York City or Europe, these artists are bringing a number of issues and cultures to represent in their works. Our goal is really to celebrate the best of Francophone cultures and culture coming from all over the world. We're wanting to celebrate all of these amazing talents and talent and incredible artists. That's Mathilde Auger, one of the curators of the festival. Both she and co-curator Florent Maas hope the new perspectives in the festival will inspire both the artists and the audience. 
does become an opportunity for foreign artists and New York-based artists to uh, to get to see their works and mingle together and interact. And we hope that this does create um, a conversation, a conversation between America and European artists. And that's what really uh, at the core in interests us. But we want to, to create uh, and spawn these conversations uh, in our great city of New York. That even includes difficult but meaningful conversations like gun violence, climate change, race, sexism, and artificial intelligence. And Oje says that even their festival, which celebrates French language and culture, has a deeper mission. Their work really is focused on our world today. They are all grappling with different issues. So the idea is that they are presenting work that not only are playing a major role in their respective fields, they actually have something to tell us. These works, these are artists that are really showing how art can be relevant today and can say something to everyone and to all kinds of audiences. The entire festival focuses on what the Francophone world can teach us about our own culture. And both Florent and Mathilde hope the audience leaves with an understanding that their art has a distinct point of view. Hearing these difficult stories, I would like, I would like, yes, people to be displaced in their own thinking, or I want people to broaden their horizons, seeing the beauty, enjoying the art form, but also, I would say, you know, be engaged with, with, the, with the ideas that the festival will, will definitely bring. Crossing the Line runs through October 13th with different events like dancing, solo performances, video performances, and a sculpture exhibit running on specific days. You can find more information at FIAF.org. That was WFUV's Rosie Lenz talking about the annual Crossing the Line Festival. And that's it from us. But you can check out the What's What weekly wrap-up every week for more features exclusively from the WFUV newsroom. And make sure to check out the WFUV What's What daily podcast every weekday at 3 for the latest local news and feature stories from FUV. And as always, you can find out more at WFUVnews.org. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Christina Lulich. And that's What's What.